for example, when I went to the abortion clinic in uh, Foggy Bottom, D.C., where these activists found these mangled baby bodies outside of it. In that scenario, I was determined to find the story on that. I wanted to know the truth about that. And nobody was giving me any answers. So I thought, what the heck? I'll just go to the clinic and ask that. Back to the Loopcast, where we keep you in the loop on all things faith, culture, and politics. I'm the host, Tom Pogasic, and as always, I'm with the editor, Josh Mercer, writer, Eric Ahern, and the FBI, unfortunately, is at it again, tackling the toughest of criminals in the streets. So, uh, Erica, get us right into it. What happened this past week? Yeah, so this was our number one click story. And I have to admit, I clicked as soon as I saw these headlines. So the FBI um, uh, last week arrested another pro-life dad, Paul Vaughn. He's a father of 11. Several of his kids are even out playing in the front yard waiting to head to school that morning. Um, And he was charged with conspiracy against rights secured by the FACE Act. Um, that's the Federal uh, Access to Clinic Entrances Act um, and Committing Face Act violations. So this was total echoes of the arrest of Mark Houck. They had, um, you know, FBI agents in the flak jackets and weapons drawn. His wife actually got video of the departing federal agents this time. So you can see uh, for yourself and we'll put the link in the show notes Um In all, over the weekend, 11 activists in this group were charged um, with these FACE Act violations, and they were stemming from a 2021 blockade, quote unquote, of an abortion clinic in Tennessee. Um, Now, this blockade was peaceful, and um, pro-life activists who were there and have video uh, of the event uh, were able to demonstrate that although, yes, laws were broken, there was nothing violent being done. In fact, The video um, that Tucker Carlson aired of the protest shows a group of mostly elderly Protestants singing hymns in this abortion clinic. So Hmm. uh, no firebombing, no physical violence, no physical blockades, just singing hymns. So Um, so blockade, they were inside the clinic just singing hymns and that was what they considered a blockade? Yeah. So it's a nonviolent sit-in is what you see. Um, And... The, if they're convicted, um, those who were charged uh, will be could be facing 11 years in prison, uh, fines of up to a quarter of a million dollars. And those who weren't present but are convicted of conspiring to uh, plan this blockade, to plan this sit-in, um, will face about a year in prison and fines of $10,000. Wait, so how many videos have I seen of like, left-wing protesters sitting in the Capitol. Yeah, I was going to mention, Tom. I was going to mention, meanwhile, coming out of Lansing, Michigan, this weekend, we saw another attack on a Catholic church, the Church of the Resurrection, right outside of Lansing. A friend of mine actually attends there with her four small children. There's uh, graffiti all over the sidewalk in blood. There's profanities. Um, And meanwhile, in Wisconsin, the story broke uh, Mary Margaret Olhan of the Daily Signal, who I think we'll be hearing from later on in the show today. Yeah, Yeah, foreshadowing teaser to listen (laughs) up. Um, She followed up on a story of the Wisconsin Pro-Life Pregnancy Resource Center that was firebombed back in May. They haven't heard anything from the FBI. Hmm. They actually were physically attacked and threatened. So 
Yes, we have another uh, targeting of a pro-life activist here by the FBI, the DOJ. Meanwhile, crickets on actual violence and threats against Catholic churches and pregnancy centers. Yeah. And so you can see why it was clickbait this weekend, right? Totally. And interesting, and Josh, I know you're following the midterm elections very closely. I feel like um, crime and safety have become very big talking points and definitely pulled negatively towards one side of the aisle. What's been going on there? Yeah, I mean, Democrats were hoping to be able to pick up two seats uh, in the Senate because they're desperate to not have to worry about Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, who are two Democrats who haven't been lock stock you know, with the rest of the Democrats. A far left agenda. Um, they're by no means, you know, I guess they're only moderate compared to the rest of the Democratic caucus. But so their hope is, hey, if we win two seats, the Democrats, if they win two seats, then we don't have to worry about these two. And, and so they look to Wisconsin and Pennsylvania as two states where they would love to be able to flip it from the Republican column to the Democratic column. Unfortunately, crime is resonating with voters in those two states, and they're wanting to support the Republican candidate because both the Democratic candidates in those two states are defund the police, you know, uh, let criminals go, uh, lower their, lighten their sentences and let them go. And of course, all of that against the backdrop of, as Erica was just talking about, an FBI who won't go after terrorists who are threatening our churches and pregnancy resource centers, but they're looking for, as uh, Tim Carney columnist for the Washington Examiner, it sure looks like the FBI is just fishing for pro-lifers to prosecute. He makes a great point that he called it a clear politicization of the Justice Department, putting the Bureau at the service of the abortion lobby. Basically, as Erica was just saying, what what the FBI now is doing is they're looking for anyone to prosecute. Even if the charges were dropped a year ago or more, they don't care. Mm -hmm. They're going to send in the SWAT team a whole bunch of guys with guns scare the living daylights out of a family and drag the person off, you know, to jail or whatever. And um, I think I've said this before. I think Merrick Garland should be impeached. Absolutely. Um, from from office, I, I think at the absolute bare minimum, the next Congress should hold hearings, not just on the lack of of prosecution of the attacks on our churches and pregnancy research centers. But now this gross miscarriage of justice to go pro, uh, prosecute pro-lifers when any honest uh, person looking at these cases say, well, you know, they dropped the charges. Let's just move on. It's not really anything here. Certainly not enough to send in a SWAT teams. It's just absolute garbage. Yeah. Uh, we have a totally politicized FBI. And honestly, it, it's, it's at the point where we have to ask ourselves, fundamentally, do we want an FBI anymore? Mm-hmm. That's Honestly, a good question. Do we really want an FBI anymore? Because if this is what can be done to us through the FBI, then you know what? I, I'm just fine without it's it. It's funny. I was doing some digging onto, okay, what is the FBI, right? What is going on here? What is this department? What is this, the function that it was intended? And I go to find out that for the last 40 years, the ACLU, which is no friend of conservatives in a pro-life movement, obviously, they have been endless articles of the FBI is evil. The FBI is a weapon used against minorities and it's a um, it, it needs to be disbanded. Defund the FBI until two years ago was the ACLU's 
sort of, you know, their byline, like defund the FBI, disband the FBI. But at this point, I haven't, I can't find any articles from the last, you know, two months from the ACLU protesting this, this weaponization against them. So this, this is something that historically has come from leftist, uh, you know, organizations like the ACLU, that the FBI is a weapon. Um, And now I think we're feeling it. So when it's coming from both sides, like, let's get rid of it. But it's just amazing, though, because as I mentioned, those Democratic candidates in Pennsylvania and Mm -hmm. Wisconsin and lots of other Democratic candidates have called for defunding the police. They don't like local police. Right. They don't want police officers arresting people who are committing crimes, or if they do, like slap them on the wrist and let them go. But they do want a national police, an FBI, that will go after parents who are upset about what's going on at school board meetings. They want an FBI, like the American Medical Association wants the FBI to come after people who don't like all the millions of dollars that are made on trans surgeries. So it's like, they're not they're not in favor of defunding the police. They want a national police and they want to put you in no, jail. No, no. Explain that because I don't think a lot of people know about that. What happened with the American Medical Association? Yeah, the American Medical Association and two other medical groups have called on the FBI to go after people who are critical of trans surgeries for minors. They, I mean, it's absolutely, mm-hmm. I mean, it's beyond well, ridiculous. Well, that letter came out. Right. The letter came out after Matt Walsh at the Daily Wire released the videos of Vanderbilt, of the doctors there saying these are money makers, these surgeries, um, people who don't want to do trans surgeries on kids shouldn't work for Vanderbilt. Matt Walsh breaks the story. Two days later, the American Medical Association sends this letter to the, the DOJ being like, you need to put the, put the kibosh on these people. And yeah. And I wish that I could just say, oh, the FBI would look at that and be like, okay, that's ridiculous. But with the the parents, um, so the the FBI labeled parents but again, as domestic Tom, parents. just think about this, though. Think about what this means, though, Tom. When it comes to uh, curriculum and parents being upset about some of the stuff that's being taught, right? Like uh, gen- a queer theory. Uh, like pornographic material theory. in schools. Parents yeah. object to this, right? And so what does the National School Board Association do? They call in the cops, right? They call in the federales. They want Merrick Garland to send FBI guys all, to all these board meetings to make sure that parents shut up and just don't challenge anything they do, right? And, and, and same now with the American Medical Association. They want to send in the cops and, and put a chilling effect on free speech. So again, ACLU used to be big in free speech. Have they condemned either of these actions? Of course not. And the fact is... This, as much as the left likes to point fingers and scream that Republicans or conservatives are fascists, the left is authoritarian. They're the ones that want to shut down and crush dissent. They want to crush free speech. Anyone who says, you know what, I don't know, surgeries, changing, you know, life altering surgeries on 10 year olds, Mm -hmm. eight year olds. Can we talk about this? Doesn't sound like a good idea. Mm They want to call in the yeah. FBI. You know, there was a there was it's a really crazy. interesting story that I think is worth bringing up, and it was just put in the loop, I believe, this morning. It was a school district in Dearborn, Michigan, which has the largest um, Middle Eastern population in the country, just about. And they had a school board meeting uh, that was open to parents and their local imam. I, I got I'd have to find his name specifically. He told people to go to the school board meeting and protest it. And we'll put it in the show notes, but flooded the place right. with people, it was who, parents who were just so upset that that people would even put 
these type of things in the school. And we're talking about like pornographic material for kids, LGBTQ, LGBTQ agenda mm-hmm. everywhere. And it was like, I feel like there's a lot to unpack there because it was a group of people with sincere religious beliefs that show up and they said exactly what you said, right? We are the majority here. And if this is democracy, you need to listen to us. Like Mm -hmm. we will fire you if you don't espouse the views that we want to have taught to our children. And someone made a really interesting comment. Because you're right. The left always says democracy, right? The interesting comment to me was from the imams, like, well, if this is a democracy, it's like, it's a democracy until one side says, no, we don't like what you have to say. And they get real authoritarian really quick. Right. Yeah. So I just thought that was so interesting coming from like, obviously people of different faith, but people who are so convicted to go protect their kids at these schools, like I would consider them to be allies in this sort of movement of like Mm -hmm. protecting childhood innocence, right? It just seems so obvious to us. But now all of a sudden when people speak up, it's like, oh, we need to silence these people, right? We need to go get get the the government to go shut them down, label them as terrorists, et cetera. And I'd be really curious if they label them as terrorists. Which would be quite the PR nightmare, I have Touchy. to say. Touchy. Yeah. But yeah, that would be interesting. All yeah. these women right. in, women yeah, exactly. in hijabs are uh, terrorists. Right, yeah. mm, oh, gonna say that? Yeah, you, that would be that would be quite yeah. striking um, if they did. And I guess the question, I, I mean, pro life Catholics have worked with uh, Muslims before. I mean, uh, I I used to I did a little work with uh, my friend Austin Ruse. He's with uh, the Catholic uh, Family Human Rights Institute in New York City. And he and I were at the United Nations, the Conference on the Child back in 2001. And there were a lot of, uh, you know, uh, representatives from Muslim countries. And they were fighting hand in hand with us to try to prevent, you know, the international right to an abortion and some Mm -hmm. sort of UN treaty and that kind of stuff. Uh, You know, a lot of credit goes to Pope John Paul II for recognizing that that's what the left was going to try to do. And, yeah. and so he, he, he put the diplomatic forces of the Holy See behind fighting that. Uh, he did that bravely in 1995. And then 2001, they made another run at it. And I was there for that. It was pretty crazy. But uh, so a lot of these Muslims uh, stood strong to fight against abortion. And, uh, you know, it doesn't surprise me that uh, the Muslims in Dearborn would not be in favor of this yeah, radical no queer theory being taught in their yeah. schools. That's good. Good for them yeah, to stand seriously. up. And so back to the FBI story of the dad being arrested recently. So we now have Vaughn, we now have Mark Hawk, and there's all the other people um, who were arrested recently as well. Do you think that this is potentially a backfire of show of aggressive force over such minor things? Could they potentially become martyrs for say, a cause against the Department of Justice and the Biden administration in general when it comes to election results and then also just like uh, satisfaction in polling numbers? Um, in terms of the political implications, I mean, I know that Joe Biden's having Merrick Garland do this because the abortion lobby ponies up a lot of money to Democratic candidates and they want action. They got to the pro-abortion lobby. Uh, the overturn of Roe v. Wade was a major setback this year. And we should always celebrate. This is a massive event that, that happened 49 years in the making. It's outstanding. We should be very <laughs> happy about it. And the pro-abortion lobby is furious. And they want, you know, whether or not it's a, a short or long-term wise political strategy or not, they they want a revenge. They're angry. And they, they love nothing more to see pro-life Catholic dads being brought before judges and 
and thrown in jail. That that's that's what they want of all of us. So of course they like this. I do think it's going to backfire. It's going to it's exactly the kind of ammunition that pro life congressmen in the House and the Senate are going to be able to use as the justification for investigating uh, the Justice Department and, and the FBI and their tactics here. Yeah. So it just seems to me like an overplay. I don't know how big of an impact it's going to have on the general election per se. I mean, I know that pro-lifers are going to be that much more energized Mm -hmm. and they're going to come out and vote. Uh, Independent voters are probably going to be, they may see this or or not, I don't know. They're probably going to be more concerned in general with the picture of crime because the crime issue, like I said, especially in Wisconsin and in Pennsylvania, uh, has dramatically affected the polling in, in those states. Um, I don't know if this is going to have a major effect on the short-term political stuff or not. Um, but, you know, of course, that's not the only reason we, we at the Loop are looking at this. But it's important to understand, you know, the reactions that it's going to have. But I, I think the biggest impact, like I say, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the catalyst for uh, congressional hearings in the new Congress. If, if people know about it, right, because the mainstream media is not covering these stories, this is um, you're going to see it on Tucker Carlson and you're going to see it in the loop in the Daily Wire, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you're going to see it. Um, so as far as people are aware of it, to me, it just feels like Hillary Clinton's deplorables on crack. Like this is taking yeah. her comment and then acting on it like, yeah, these Catholic dads are the deplorables. So we're going to arrest them at gunpoint in front of their screaming children. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would Josh. Josh has a much, uh, you know, he's got well, the finger on the pulse. But you brought up a good point, though. It's interesting that it has received such little coverage. Like like we're so inundated, obviously, in like the Catholic media world mm-hmm. and um, even in the Catholic media world. I feel like it like you said, Tucker and then like us with the loop. but. I haven't really seen it too many places. So like, I don't know if people really understand the significance of what's happening. Like the FBI breaking too down crazy, your door. Maybe? Yeah, right. It's like, I, yeah, it's, why like is it's it, too unbelievable. Why has it not stuck? Like I've had a few moments where I'm like, like, these are our guys, right? Like I've been outside of Planned Parenthood before. Like these are our people just getting taken off the streets. 11 years in jail. Like, are you kidding me? That's like yeah. a very significant portion of your life for of your child's such a life. Small, yeah. And your children's lives and yeah. like all these things. Well, Tom, so one of the greatest biases that the left-wing corporate media have is in story selection. Mm-hmm. You know, the story, it, it's not just the spin that they put on the stories they report on. I mean, of course, they have that. So when it's officially an inflation, they, they kind of downplay whether or not it's really an inflation. What is the definition of that word? You know, they would never do that if Trump had a recession. It's, oh, a it's recession, just a recession. Yeah. They would just say it. <laughs> But right. for Biden, Maybe like, well, some really definition. Sure so, yeah. So they certainly have biases that leak into in the stories that they do. But and again, and I would say perhaps their greatest bias is in their story selection. They here is a story about two Catholic dads who had no real crime, and a year after what they did, mm-hmm. the the SWAT team is sent in on them, right? And so it becomes a big story, and. Uh, Right? No, they don't cover mm-hmm. it at all. And so, like for example, um, the the forty year old man or whatever in North Dakota who decides to kill with his car a seventeen year old or eighteen year old right wing extremist conservative type. Like honestly, if the roles were reversed, right? Imagine some forty year old Republican guy running over and killing an eighteen year old liberal. 
that would be national mm-hmm. news. But it's because it's the opposite. The media just doesn't cover it. They don't care. And again, when the when conservatives call them on this uh, rank hypocrisy, what the media will say is, "Oh no, actually, we did cover it. Look here, it's on page, you know, D ninety eight. I mean, give me a break, you know. Whereas, you know, the the thing that happened with George Floyd was was horrible, but it's like you know months, months of, of media right. attention. Why? Because it feeds a narrative where they can use as a battering ram against conservatives. So. It's just one of those things where I like to make the point, it's not just how they cover things, but it's really what stories they choose to cover and which stories they choose to ignore. The corporate media does that all the time. And that's why I think any good Catholic should have a better media diet. And I think that includes having the loop so they can find out, hey, here are the stories you're not going to hear about from ABC or the Washington Post or your local, you know, metropolitan newspaper. Yeah. And speaking of uh, good Catholic investigative reporters, that's why we went out and got one of them. So uh, uh, coming up next, we have our interview with Mary Margaret. All right. Now I'm joined by Mary Margaret Allahan, senior reporter at The Daily Signal. Mary Margaret, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. First official external guest on the Loopcast. So this is pretty special. I'm, I'm, I was really excited to talk to you, and especially after seeing you were really in the mix this past weekend. So you were at the Women's yeah. March, which I believe is an evolution of the Pink Hat people. Is that correct? It is. Yes, it is. I was at the Women's March this weekend, and it kind of, I think it started out when I was in college, because I was at Catholic University, and I remember all my girlfriends said, let's go to this Women's March. It's about women and sticking up for females. And I went with all my girlfriends and was horrified at the, you know, vulgarity and yeah. absolute insanity on display there. And that was probably the biggest one that mm-hmm. has ever taken place. It had a lot to do with Trump at the time. And, you know, it was very mm-hmm. political. And it's scaled down over the past couple of years. It's gotten a lot smaller and more varied in attendees. There's people that care about climate change, about BLM, about abortion. Yeah. It's just a kind of a whole mixing pot of issues. Yeah, really interesting how that's kind of devolved, it feels like, from being women to being central to that and your friends being like, hey, we want to go. We're women. Let's support. And now you just threw out three things that seemingly have nothing to do with women. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think a lot of these protesters, they are just kind of protesters for fun. They like to go to everything. They care about all these random issues and they mix it all together and make a huge fuss over whatever issue at hand mm-hmm. is at and, hand that and out day. Of, out of curiosity, were a lot of those people like DC locals or did they come in from like other parts of the country? Um, it's kind of a mix because there were people there that told me they came from far away. And then there were people who I had seen at all the abortion protests over the summer in front of the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. You know, they were all, a lot of people would rise up for abortion rights. And then there was this whole group of protesters that go to the houses of the Supreme Court justices, mm-hmm. like Amy Coney Barrett, even though she's got a lot of kids, and they'll just go protest outside the homes and start, shout horrible things and um, march up and down the street and curse and say they hate the justices, things like that. Yeah. And so and I want to get into all that for sure. But when you went specifically to the Women's March, what were you mm-hmm. hoping to capture? Like, what did you go in expecting? Yeah, so we went in, we wanted to talk to people about their attitudes on abortion. And actually, we'll have a video going up at Daily Signal soon that's showing what all these people told us. And I'll give you a little hint. We were asking them, 
do you support any restrictions on abortion whatsoever? And I think you can guess what they told us. This is the new, the new thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The new thing. If you like all these democratic candidates, you ask them if they support any restrictions on abortion, they're not really embarrassed to say they don't anymore. Most people um, who are on this radical extreme side of, of the democratic party are okay with saying that they support abortion up until birth, up until nine months, which is used to be unfathomable. But yeah, we went into, we went into the women's March asking people that we wanted to ask them a couple other questions about their, their attitudes on things. They're not super friendly to reporters. There. Didn't seem like it. And I wanted to ask about that because there's kind of this viral clip of, it was unbelievable. Like I'm looking at like you're a human being to treat another human being like that is crazy. But so can you describe like, how did that start? What happened? And like, were you able to even continue after? Yeah. So these protesters that were harassing my colleague and I, Tim, they were some of the people that had been at the Supreme Court over the summer. And they also go to the homes of the justices. And I had done a piece when I was working for the Daily Wire where I kind of shone a spotlight on a couple of them and said, this is who this is. They've been going to the justices' houses. It's illegal to protest in front of the justices' houses, but they're doing it and they haven't been punished for it. Mm -hmm. That was my story. And so a couple of these guys noticed that I was there with my camera guy, Tim, and they got really upset. And one, one in particular starts shouting at me and accusing me of doxing her. Uh, she was shouting curse words at me and her, their whole group gathered around Tim and I, and they were shouting into their megaphones and ringing bells in our ears and blowing whistles and screaming at us that we were fascists. And, um, so <laughs> yeah, that's a fun this word happened, these days. It, it is. Oh, everybody loves to call everybody a fascist. Yeah. So it happened a couple times. First it happened towards the beginning of the March and, um, you know, it was unpleasant and they were very aggressive. And so I said, let's go, let's go talk to other people. Let's get out of here. So we did. And I'm glad we did because we talked to a lot of other people. We got some great responses. That's what you'll see in our video. Um, we walked around, we bumped into one guy who told us that he was happy that he, someone in his life had gotten an abortion and killed his baby. And when I asked him, I said something along the lines of, wow, are you happy that your baby is not here? He said, yes. And like looked right at me and said, yes. Um, Just, you know, some very unhappy people at that march. And so, you know, we talked to him. We talked to a couple other people. We make the rounds and we get back to where we were before. And these protesters see us again. And they were even more unhappy than before. And one of them, I tried to talk to her and ask her some questions because I wanted to say, are you one of the people that's protesting outside the homes of the Supreme Court justices? I wanted to hear what she thought about the fact that her protesting is illegal. I wanted to ask her some questions about that. They got really upset, more upset than the time before. Um, They got really aggressive in our faces kind of surrounding us. And so we started to walk away. We started to walk down the street towards the head of the march, which was forming. Because up until now, everybody had been kind of congregating in one place, listening to speeches. Mm-hmm. So we're heading, we're heading to the front of the march, and they, they're following us behind us. And I thought, okay, we'll step off to the side, and we'll let them pass, and then we'll continue what we were doing. But no, they followed us when we stepped off to the side, and they surround us again. And they're banging the cowbell in my ear, and one girl blew so on loud. I was so loud and it was super annoying. 
And one girl blew a whistle in my face so loud, so like strongly that she got her spit all over my face, which is disgusting. And I, and so at that point, it just started feeling like pretty hostile. And I wasn't worried it was going to get violent, but I, I did see a lot of people filming. Um, We noticed since that there was a kind of prominent Antifa figure that was there that was filming. Mm. And we, we, in the moment we were like, we should probably go. And so we started heading towards the police line and they all followed us. And we got to the police line, went past the police. And, you know, I don't like to walk away from that kind of thing. I didn't want to, but they're all screaming and yelling and they come up close to the police and Tim and I are on the other side of them. And at that point I realized like we're causing a scene, people are filming, the police are in between us and you don't really realize until you're in a situation like that, that you're kind of putting the police in a tough spot too. So yeah. at that point we were like, we should go. And we left. Wow. But, okay. You know, so they, forced they, you they, out. Yeah. Yeah, they did. They ran us out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad that you're okay. I mean, because I've seen too many, like just in my time at the loop, I've seen way too many clips of like, stuff going crazy and people getting hurt and mm-hmm. like you, you would just hope to never see that like you could just yeah so and one thing that i want to bring up too like so from your experience at the women's march which you just talked about it seemed like people were on a whole pretty miserable and you previously just went to a march for life rally in pennsylvania i believe correct yeah yeah what would you say the biggest difference between the people that you saw at the women's march and then the people you saw at the march for life rally was that's a really great question because um, I think this is a good, this is a, this demonstrates the biggest difference between the two marches. At the Pennsylvania March for Life, there were thousands of people there, tons of kids. I saw a bunch of different people who have Down syndrome, which is such a beautiful thing to see, especially when people with Down syndrome are targeted so much in our day and age. It's so sad, most joyful people you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. Um so many um, people with disabilities that came out to March for Life with their families. Uh, everyone was really cheerful. Everyone was, you know, well-dressed. At the Women's March, there's a ton of vulgarity, a ton of sexual references, a ton of references to genitalia. You've got so many people not not wearing enough clothing. And I'm not saying that, you know, to be like, oh, they were immodest. They were not wearing enough clothing (laughs) and they they were writing on their bodies you know and um did you notice any any religious uh symbolism used in the women's march like uh anti-religion type things i was told that there were some nuns there that were handing out pro-abortion propaganda and when i asked and said wait they're nuns because i wondered if they were with catholics for choice or something Uh um i was told that they're fake nuns but they oh they have been around for a while. Ugh. I know. So <laughs> I didn't see them myself. And then <laughs> and then there was, you know, there were some pro-lifers there with big signs that were religious. And of course, there were people trying to trample on their signs. And then, yeah. Um, yeah, there was I didn't I didn't see any of the, you know, from time to time, you'll see like a Catholics catholics for choice or something well, like that i didn't actually, see a lot yeah. of that but what oh i was gonna say we actually just made an expose on catholics for choice with the basilica stunt oh um, good at the last march for life yeah was like, so i was i was curious if they would make an appearance because it does not sound like something outside of the realm of possibilities um 
But I no. guess one thing that's really surprised me about these kind of rallies and both sides, they both use religion um, and religious symbols in what they're doing. Uh, typically from places like the Women's March, it's pretty blasphemous. And then you go over the March for Life, you see right. like a lot of crosses as like as like an encouragement type thing. So I'm just, it, it's always been interesting to me that yeah. the Catholic Church has kind of been in the crosshairs of both of these type of marches. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think people recognize how powerful the Catholic Church is. So um, either harness it for good or evil. And in this case, it has been, I've encountered the head of Catholics for Choice at some pro-abortion rallies. And she tried to tell me that Thomas Aquinas supports abortion, which uh, was an interesting take I hadn't heard before. Yeah. But I wanted to come back to there. I wanted to come back to one of the points that you asked about the difference between the marches, because at the, at the women's march, I bumped into a girl who's holding a sign and she was really pretty. She's um, stylishly dressed and her sign said pro-choice or said uh, adopted and pro-choice. And so I went up to her and asked her about it because at the Pennsylvania March for Life, I talked to a girl who had a very similar sign and it said something along the lines of, I'm so glad that my mom put me up for adoption and didn't abort me, something like that. And the girl at the Pennsylvania March for Life was adopted and her mom chose life. Her mom lived in Russia and had a really hard life and opted to put the, her daughter up for adoption. And now she lives in the United States and she's been given a lot of different opportunities. And so I asked this girl at the Women's March about her sign. And she actually ended up getting upset with me. And um, she, you know, I think had had a hard time in foster care system. and she implied that it would be better to be aborted than to be in an overcrowded foster care system, which is an incredibly sad thing to hear from yeah. a beautiful young girl like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, there's, I don't even know if there's much to say about that. Um, it's so mm -hmm. sad. And uh, one thing that you brought up that I wanted to ask about, you said that um, a lot of people were really like confrontational, didn't really want to talk to you. Were you able to encounter anyone that was able to hold like like a reasonable debate or brought up points that maybe surprised you a little bit in your time at the Women's March? <laughs> um, no. Okay. I and then I figured the answer is probably a quick no. So why, why do you think that is? Why do you think that you're not able to have like a normal conversation with someone at one of these marches? Well, I think part of answering that question is first acknowledging you know, when I go to stuff like this, you do have to be really careful about how you word your questions because you can't ask anything without carefully wording it or else people um, immediately know which side of the debate you're on. And mm -hmm. so, for example, if you say, why are you pro-abortion? They might not even like how you say the word pro-abortion. They mm -hmm. would prefer you call them um they, they they just don't think there are two sides to the argument. They're not used to encountering other people who disagree with them. So, mm. for example, when I say, so do you guys think that abortion should be limited at any point? They say no. And they already look at you like, wait, why are you asking that? Because mm. they don't think that that should be talked about. They, they don't think that that should be up for discussion. And so with that in mind, once you say, OK, so you don't think there should be any limits on abortion. And then they look at you like, are you insane? And you say, what about when the baby can feel pain? What about when the baby is able to survive outside the womb? And just saying baby 
they're like, oh, you hack. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so that that is a quality conversation that you have. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I'm sure it takes really deft interviewing skills to be able to try to get something productive, I guess, out of the conversation. And I, I did actually, I wanted to bring up some of your recent, I'd say accomplishments, a lot of work that you've been a part of recently. So <laughs> you were at the Dobbs leak when all that was going on. You were at Roe v. Wade getting overturned. You were at the protests outside of the justice homes, like all of these very contentious yeah. <laughs> so far. And you actually visited a DC abortion clinic. I did. Yeah. These aren't cushy, like puff piece, like journalism. Like this isn't, you know, your lifestyle blog or whatever. Like what propels you, what drives you to put yourself in these very heated, intense moments? Well, I guess I would say that I, first of all, feel really blessed to be able to participate in history like this, you know, being able to be there when Roe v. Wade was overturned. Um, That's not something I'll ever forget. And I'm um, excited to tell my grandchildren if I ever have any that I was there when Roe v. Wade was overturned, you know, and that was an incredible, incredible moment. But I think that the other part of this is that there's not a ton of reporters. And I, I don't mean, I don't mean commentators. And I don't mean, you know, activists. I mean, there's not a lot of reporters mm. that cover these issues. And there are reporters that write about it, but there are reporters that there aren't reporters that specify in these issues. And I think that is really important to have someone that people know, oh, she writes about this. Mm-hmm. Um, she knows a lot about this. She can cover this well. You can trust her to want to know the truth about this. And so in that way, like, for example, when I went to the abortion clinic in uh, Foggy Bottom, D.C., where these activists found these mangled baby bodies outside of it, in that scenario, I was determined to find the story on that. I wanted to know the truth about that. And nobody was giving me any answers. So I thought, what the heck? I'll just go to the clinic and ask them. And so I work really hard. And sometimes, a lot of the time, that means going out and being places. And I'm very blessed to be able to work for places like the Daily Signal that give me the freedom to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, two questions. One, why do you think that not many people cover this? Because like you said, this is like history, right? We're not talking about commentaries or whatever. Why do you think not as many people are on the ground? And then, uh, yeah, we'll start with that one. I think that a lot of conservative media, a lot of conservative news, they kind of pigeonhole abortion. And I've seen this at a lot of different places. They think that abortion is not, um, you know, we cover the big things, but they think in general, shouldn't cover abortion too much because it doesn't get enough clicks or um, hmm. it can get a little too in the weeds. And But the smart media outlets and um, reporters know that, yeah, it's true. Every pro-life bill that goes through Congress is not going to attract a ton of attention. That's fair. And it's not even that interesting sometimes. But a Catholic father getting arrested for his pro-life work, that's a big deal. That should be covered very, very closely. Yeah. Or a woman getting shot while she's canvassing for, for against a pro-abortion proposition. That's a big deal. Um, someone driving by a pro-life clinic or someone driving by pro-lifers praying outside an abortion clinic and shouting demonic things at them. That's a big deal, too. Hate crimes, um, targeting Catholic churches on Mother's Day over abortion. That's a big deal. All these like vandalisms of pro-life centers. Those are big, big deal things. And at the end of the day, they usually relate to other really important things like the Department of Justice, uh, the FBI, and you can connect those to all kinds of other issues. So I think conservatives who don't focus 
carefully on these issues are not only doing a disservice to those people who have stories to tell that aren't being allowed to tell them, they're also doing a disservice to themselves because sooner or later, they're going to be left out of some of the most important and pivotal stories in the news. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I did happen to see uh, AMDG in your Twitter bio. So uh, I think I'd extend that further to Catholics, right? So, mm -hmm. so your personal faith um, is tied in with a lot of these issues that you cover. Do you feel that your uh, journalism is uh, an extension, like an opportunity to educate not just conservatives, but also Catholics in the country as to the realities of what's going on in government and how it affects, say, people of faith? Absolutely. I mean, we're in a battle for the soul of our nation right now, but I think as Catholics, we know that we're also in a um, massive spiritual battle and the different issues that we face nowadays, um, whether it's abortion or um, LGBTQ ideology or any of these things that we talk about. Um, our Catholic faith plays a huge role in all of this and informs the way I feel about all these issues. Um, not how I feel about them, informs the way I look at them. Truth is truth. And I think that at the end of the day, the most important thing is to focus on that. And there's often stories that I write or I know friends of mine write that we worry, um, you know, is this, is it okay to write about this? Or is this, you know, for example, I used to cover the Pope Francis in the Catholic Church when I was a daily caller a lot. And I get stressed out about, should I write about this? Or is this going to cast this in a bad light? And I think at the end of the day, you got to remember that the truth will set you free. And um, shining light on what's going on is always, always really helpful to the rest of um, Catholic Church, to everyone. And I'm just grateful to be able to be, have a platform to talk about what I do. And every now and then um, expose myself as the Catholic radical that I am. <laughs> I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, Mary Margaret, I want to give you the opportunity at the end of this interview. Do you have anything that you'd like to plug? I personally would make a recommendation, go follow her on Twitter. She's one of my favorite followers. <laughs> but is there anything else you're working on that we should look out for? Keep an eye out for our Daily Signal video. We are. It's going to be kind of a compilation of all these different pro-abortion protesters saying where they stand on abortion. And I think it'll be on Instagram too. So follow the Daily Signal Instagram and follow us on Twitter. Awesome. Yeah. Mary Margaret, looking forward to seeing you pop up in the loop as always. And uh, thank you for taking the time to sit down with us. Thank you. I love Catholic Vote. Love what you guys do. That leads us on to our next topic. So this past week, we had my favorite Marian title, Our Lady of Victory, now uh, Our Lady of the Most Holy Rosary. Uh, we had her solemnity on past Friday. And so I thought that was a good opportunity to bring up Feast Day. Feast day You're going to get uh, totally corrected for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, come on. Show's over. Last... See, someone got mad at me. Someone got mad at me last night because I didn't correct Erica too much. I know. Han okay. Solo was a scoundrel, but I want to take a moment to publicly set the record straight. I that said is. Han Solo was a bounty hunter. I was wrong. I heard it from all of my children, oh, my whoa. husband, all oh. of my colleagues. I'm Shoot. I so I'm here to say I misspoke <laughs> in the heat of the moment and I acknowledge well, my error. So yeah, that's good. That's good journalism. All right. I just Moving got, on. You have been, unlike the unlike the left, we, we that's are. Right. Oh, thank so. you. See, this is why I work for the loop. <laughs> we, uh, we are. Benevolent I won't people. get canceled tomorrow. OK, well, thanks. I just got so excited about Our Lady of Victory that uh, I had to bring it She's up. Awesome. So we have two stories for you. She is uh, awesome. And we're going to start with Our Lady of the of Victory. So if you Ooh. haven't heard of the Battle of Lepanto, we actually brought on a scholar herself to come talk about it. Uh, pretty amazing story. So Erica, what was the Battle of Lepanto? 
how does it amateur how does scholar yeah. no i just i love this story i love the story and i think i love it because you know i took ap european history in Whoa. high school i did pretty well i got a Whoa. five on that exam <laughs> i had never heard of this Till was that I, on your resume uh, to come work at Catholic Vote? Uh, no, but I just like to, you know, you never get to tout that score. So that's why I'm on the True. Lucas. You're like, I got a five. On it. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, this is something we don't hear about if you're in like high school European history. Lepanto, October 7th, 1571. So this is like 450 years ago plus. Um, the Ottoman Turks had conquered Constantinople about a century before. They turned the great Hagia Sophia the great basilica uh, into a mosque, right? Uh, their next goal for the next hundred years is to, they, and this is a quote from historical records, put a crescent on top of St. Peter's in Rome. All right. So they've been expanding into the Mediterranean for over a hundred, almost hundred years. And they're terrible results for Europe, right? There's trade disruption, resulting famine, the slave trade off the Barbary coast. It's just crazy. Pillaging. Right. Yeah, pillaging, pillaging. So, stuff, so, yeah. so leading up to the Battle of Lepanto, in 1569, Pope Pius V, Dominican Pope, yes, my man, uh, he's the reason popes wear white today, because he had the Dominican habit. That's a fun fact. Right. He approves the rosary as a u- for universal use. So up until this time, is kind of a little Dominican thing now, like everyone can use the rosary. Uh, but it wasn't really something Catholics did every day. Like you didn't have rosaries hanging around in parish halls and all that. So speed it up two years later, 1571, the Ottoman Turks conquered the island of Cyprus off the coast. It's a huge island in the middle of the Mediterranean. There's a terrible siege. Uh, thousands and thousands of people starve. These are Catholics. There are, there's torturing. There are beheadings. The women are sold into sex slavery. Um, and the goal now is the Muslims are going to conquer the whole Mediterranean and get to Rome and put that crescent on top of St. Peter's Basilica. Christendom, meanwhile, has been torn apart by the Protestant rebellion, right? So-called Reformation. Protestant rebellion tears it apart. Only Spain and the Vatican States are coming together to resist this Muslim incursion. Um, And Pope Pius V, he calls on all the faithful to pray the rosary all over Christendom. Um, Okay, if the the kings won't help me, the ordinary Catholics will. Get out your rosary. It's the greatest weapon. And he asks the Blessed Mother to defeat the Turkish Navy. So, of course, against enormous odds, Don Juan off the coast of Austria prevails in a bloody showdown. And so we have the Feast of Our Lady of Victory on October 7th, a turning point uh, for Christendom. Totally These are awesome. OG rosary extremists. Maybe this is what they're talking about. These, the rosary, the original <laughs> A15, AR, yeah, yeah. wait, I oh, can't talk. I'm too excited. And actually, yeah. what, the Mediterranean is part of the Atlantic, hey, right? that's hey. right. And it, they definitely... Really? Did not have AR-15s. Like, interesting no. part of this battle was they called them like infantry on like rowboats. Yeah, so this infantry was like on rowboats. The last naval engagement where they they didn't have yeah. sails, so they were all rowing and they'd all be on this platform. Like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna throw down. Yeah, but it was. Do you think the people at the Atlantic Magazine <laughs> celebrate our Lady of Victory? Probably not. Yeah, I doubt they celebrate. Probably not. Right. Maybe the Mediterranean Magazine does. Yeah, they were celebrating Indigenous peoples. Yeah, you know, it was funny though. Like. uh I was talking with uh, uh, Sean and Rachel Duffy, power couple that they mm-hmm. are. You know, Rachel Duffy's now on uh, Fox and Friends Weekend, and Sean was running for Congress, and mm-hmm. and uh, the, their baby girl was uh, Maria Victoria. And I go, oh, Our Lady of Victory. Uh-huh. And she goes, she says to me, you know, so few people get that <laughs> reference. Yes, that's why we named her that. <laughs> I go, well, may you have, may you be victorious. And he was. Awesome. He won election. <laughs> Our so, Lady of uh, Victory. So, 
I always think of, I always think about little Maria yeah. Victoria Duffy on that. But hey, Catholics should know these stories, right? Right, like, but we I should don't know if people really know the full scope of that. Like the Turks were like unbeatable. They were yeah. they were considered like they just won everything. They were considered David and tougher, meaner, stronger, and they actually had a stronger force in this battle. Mm-hmm. And the Holy League was like shaking, right? Like there was yeah. like, this was a really unfair fight. It seemed like in a last ditch effort. Like let's let's go to Mary, you know, pray the Rosary. And uh, they clobbered them. It was considered yep. like a decisive victory. Well, part of it was the, like the weather totally was on the Holy League side. Like, you know, you look up, and you're like, what's going on? And the wind changes yep. and well, not good for the Turks and good for us. It's like, hmm, maybe we had a little help from Mary. Yeah. Upstairs, and they so. definitely did. And so like we still have Our Lady Victory eventually changed to Our Lady, the Most Holy Rosary. Um, and so I just think that's one of those cool you stories. Still- of, like people don't know. People don't know that this event well, happened. It's a part of our do. Catholic heritage. Now they do. <laughs> So, <laughs> and it's a good feast day for the loop yes. because we, you know, the loop, of course, the, the rosary is the OG it loop. Is the OG the loop. loop. So, yeah. we like to pray the, the rosary. We would never claim that we're as important as the rosary. We're not going to say that. But, we want to uh, Our Lady, uh, Our Lady of the Rosary is the loop's yes. feast day. And, no uh, so to continue on cool rosary stories, so, um, there's yeah. a saint. Uh, and I, we put this in the loop. I don't know if it got as enough, uh, as much attention as it should have, cause it's such a cool story, but, uh, St. Bartolo Longo, the story of a satanic priest turned Catholic <laughs> priest turned saint, which is like, I clicked on it, story. Josh. Yeah. I clicked <laughs> yeah. on that one. It was so, cool. <laughs> so can we, can we go over the story too? Well, I, it's a, it's a modern saint. I mean, I love him because I mean, you know, he went to, you know, he studied law at University of Naples. I mean, he was a very smart person, you know, and um, he became, he was, as young people are, he got really passionate on what he believed in. And in that case, it was, uh, unfortunately, you know, the, the New Age stuff and, and became a satanic priest. Um, but it also just shows, you know, like he remembered those kind of rote prayers that he was taught by a, a Dominican again the Dominicans it's the, like the Domi- Dominican episode today yeah <laughs> I know I've always I mean Eric I'm with Eric I I'm love the fan. Dominicans they're the best so um and and I love him because he was just uh, he's just I mean you know he he didn't he didn't become a Catholic priest he just was a, a lay man who fell in love with Our Lady and wanted to be an ambassador to the Rosary he built this beautiful uh, Basilica and Pompeii, yeah. um, you know, and and John Pope John Paul II, you know, really lifted him up as as a great model. And uh, my mother in law uh, loved Bartolo Longo. Uh, she she would talk about him a lot and and talk about how we as lay Catholics need to be ambassadors for the Rosary. So a shout out to my mother in law Barb Smith, who was born into eternal life in two thousand three on the feast of Bartolo no Longo. way. Wow. So she loved love him that. and was she was a great ambassador of the rosary, started marrying conferences in northern Michigan, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and she loved the rosary. And uh, I think she, Barb Smith uh, and Bartolo Longo are working with us right now. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, there's a lot of people here in Michigan who are praying the rosary. I started praying the rosary every day uh, since the feast of Our Lady of the Rosary to uh, hopefully defeat the demonic proposition, proposition three. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, what I like about it is uh, um, the the Bishop of Lansing, uh, uh, Boye, he decided to launch this prayer campaign to fight like heaven. Yeah, 
I love against that proposition line. three. Fight like and, he, and the reason he said fight like heaven, because the super pro-abortion governor, Rachel Whitmore, has promised many times in the last few months she's going to fight like hell for abortion. Mm-hmm. Fight like hell. She said that. And so Twilight the Bishop of Lansing's like, yeah. we're going to pray the rosary and we're going to fight like heaven. And so, you know what? Sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. Sometimes we only win when we beg and pray. And so I ask every Catholic who's listening to this podcast, even if you don't live in Michigan, please consider praying the rosary every day to election day for obviously pro-life candidates to win. But specifically, pray for this initiative in Michigan. Uh, We do not want another uh, stronghold for abortion in the Midwest. We already have Chicago with Illinois and that kind of stuff. So uh, I believe, (laughs) I I truly believe like Bartolo Longo, that uh, praying the rosary can make a big difference. So not everyone is as familiar with Bartolo as you are, Josh. Um, So I'll give a quick uh, rundown. So I'm a big, I'm a big man. I'm a big fan. 1841. So more of a modern saint. Uh, So he was, unfortunately he was 10 when his mother died and that kind of set him down the path of, um, he was, he was raised as a devout Catholic, but kind of set him down the path of elsewhere. Um, So at the time, Italy, nationalism was on the rise in Italy and they really saw the Catholic church, which was very prominent, obviously in Italy as a threat to this movement. Uh, So many of Bartolo Longo's professors were ex-priests turned nationalists, instilling hatred of the church into the minds of the students and definitely took hold on him. So at this time, he was kind of encountering spiritualism, uh, which is really interesting. I've made some comments uh, recently. So this is so dumb, but like, you know, uh, Tom Brady and Giselle, they're looking at like getting a divorce or something. And she has this spiritual advisor that she goes to see. So like the spiritual advisor. And then you see crystals in society. You see like Ouija board sold at Target. Like this stuff hasn't gone away. So it's really interesting to like, I read that. I'm like, oh, that's so old, right? That's not around. And I took like two seconds. I'm like, whoa, mm-hmm. like this stuff is still around and people do get swept up in it. So well, you talk to any, um, any priest will tell you that the rise of the occult among the, uh, the youth is just mind numbing. It's just um, crazy right now. And like you go into uh, any bookstore, you go to the religion section or philosophy section and it's all crystals and ancestral healing and getting in touch with mother Gaia and the spirits. And uh, this is definitely a story that we can relate to today. Yeah. And so how it happened for him was he actually or was ordained a satanic priest and promised his soul to a demon. So like talk about really getting deep into this. Right. And so mm-hmm. eventually, I think to no surprise of anyone listening to this, he sunk into a deep depression. Um, and so he was actually kind of fished out of that depression by a Dominican priest, uh, the Dominicans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so within a couple of weeks, he was back in the church and he uh, was broken from all of his previous commitments and brought into the church officially and uh, recognized, uh, I renounce spiritualism because it's nothing but a maze of error and falsehood. And interestingly enough, uh, he felt so much guilt about his time in the satanic church and really felt irredeemable and had the devil definitely in his ear and almost to the point where he almost took his own life. And at that moment where he almost took his own life, he remembered the words that the Dominican said to him and that if he devotes himself in his life to the rosary, he'll be saved. And so he decided not to. And eventually he was ordained a priest himself and devoted his life. As Josh said, he built built a beautiful basilica. He served the people of Pompeii and he really (laughs) took so much time to kind of rid uh, as many people in Pompeii from these kind of spiritualist um, and occult practices, which was like 
really cool to hear. But Erica, didn't you actually take a pilgrimage to Pompeii? Yeah, I actually got to go to Pompeii, um, see, is that seven years ago? And um, I went with a group of young people at a school I was teaching at. And um, we went, obviously, you think of Pompeii and you think of Mount Vesuvius and like the ruins and like the corpses that you can go see the, you know, the casts of the bodies from the ancient Roman peoples who died in that terrible explosion. Um, so I didn't even know this basilica was there. And the our tour guide like finished up and he was like, oh, we should just go see the basilica. I'm like, oh, blah, blah, blah. So we go down to the basilica, another church in Italy, <laughs> and we walk in and it was seriously, it was one of the most beautiful churches. And I've been, I'd been for, in Italy for almost two weeks at this point. We walk in and just blows you away with the beautiful paintings, the soaring, the light was amazing. And it's, it's in this city that's associated with death and paganism. And again, you don't learn this in school, but this man, because of his devotion to the rosary, now he's transformed Pompeii into a place of life and light and conversion. Um, and you see uh, people have hung their crutches and you'll see like those little metal sacred heart images that people hang when they receive a miracle or a healing at a shrine. And it's the whole basilica is filled with them. So I would I would highly recommend going to Pompeii. One, the pizza is amazing. Two, it's really cool to see Vesuvius and then the ashes. And then third and finally, and most importantly, go to the Basilica. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but I just want to step in, Tom, though. You said he became a Catholic mm -hmm. priest. Yes. A yeah, third order Dominican. He, he did not become a Catholic oh, priest. Oh, correction again. I'm off today. Okay, so I just want to make sure we're yeah, clear He wasn't a bounty hunter either. He was either. a satanic priest. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he was a satanic priest. He became Catholic, right? Yep. He became a third order Dominican, but he did not become a Catholic priest. And in fact, he was, you know, working really hard to try to spread the devotion to to the to the Rosary, right? And uh, there's a woman named uh, the Countess Mariana de Fusco, if mm -hmm. I pronounce her name correctly, uh, and they worked together to try to promote the Rosary. And there was some people started gossiping and talking, and they thought, oh, maybe you know, maybe these two people are together. And so he's trying to figure out what to do. Um, and so at the suggestion of Pope Leo XIII, Ortolo Longo and this Countess uh, Mariana, they, they got married just to prevent any kind of talk or oh, scandal, wow. right? I missed that. But it was a Josephite marriage where they remained absent because they were just so interested in promoting the, the cause of the rosary. They didn't, you know, they didn't have any desire. Uh, they actually took care of, you know, mm -hmm. orphan children, children of wow. prisoners and that kind of stuff. So I just want to say, great guy. He's awesome. <laughs> Former satanic priest. Did not there become a Catholic priest. So not, yeah, I, I don't hey. want to get a, our viewer mail yeah, off the yeah, charts here. I appreciate the so. correction for sure. Yeah. Um, and. But I mean, he was, you know, he was in the, he was a knight of the Holy Order, the Holy Sepulchre. I mean, he's. He's legit. He had. He's legit. Yeah, he's I awesome. just wanted to say, Pray too, I think, Tom, we were, we were talking about this earlier. And I think Mary Margaret was talking about her, um, her experience at the Women's March. And I was watching some of those videos and I have to say, like the dog barking, the screaming, the whistling, <laughs> I was feeling a little of the satanic presence watching the videos. Yeah. And oh, no. So I'm like, totally Bartolo right. Longo, pray for us. Pray for us. Hard. We want yes. those Blessed Bartolo Longo, not yet a, pr not, not, yes, not blessed, blessed yet. Yeah. A saint. Pray for us. What will we'll, we we'll do without for his intercession? I know. He's honest, like keeping man. us honest I mean, here. Got to be accurate. <laughs> Look, I make a mistake and 300,000 people right. notice it. So it's the guys. truth, man. We get some brutal. 
Brutal it's that humility, <laughs> Josh. That's your yeah, humility. Keeps, keeps us humble. Oh. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It yes. does. And uh, Twilight Zone. Oh, Twilight, Twilight Zone. Zone. Twilight Josh Zone. is up We're first. Back, baby. And uh, Mercer, uh, you get first crack at it. What was the Twilight Zone moment of the week for you this week? Well, uh, there's a congresswoman in Iowa. Her name is Ashley Hinson. And she did a, an ad. You know, she's running for re-election here. Um, she's pro-life. Uh, I, I disagree. I, you know, I disagree with her. She wanted to do marriage redefinition, but I'm not going to get into that. So she's not flawless. Uh, but anyway, she did this commercial. Uh, she's talking about inflation, drugs pouring over the border. And then she ends the ad by saying, it's time to change direction and save America before it's too late. Okay. I mean, sounds pretty innocuous, kind of what you'd expect a Republican ad to be like. Well, a reporter with the Gazette, a daily newspaper in Cedar Rapids, freaked out and reached out to Ashley Hinson's campaign to inform them that actually that ad was racist Mm. because they used the phrase before it's too late. Mm. It's (laughs) unbelievable. How's it racist? Was the campaign, the reporter asked, was the campaign aware of the history behind the tagline and its connection to the racially divisive 1983 Chicago mayoral campaign? If so, why choose that tagline for the ad? It's like, are you out of your mind? Like, before it's too late, save America before it's too late. Oh, wait a minute. That references a Chicago mayoral (laughs) race. What? And And so I actually, someone from the Washington Free Beacon, actually linked that original ad from 40 years ago. I watched it and it's a Jewish white guy running against a black uh, Democrat. They're both running. They're both liberals. They're both running for mayor of Chicago. Right. And there was nothing racially tinged about this article. I was like, crime's on the rise. We need to bring more business to Chicago. You know, vote for me before it's too late. I mean, okay, sure. I mean, it wasn't like a Willie Horton ad, which is extremely (laughs) racially charged ad. Right. It's not. And so it's absolute twilight zone. But think about this now. This reporter decides to jump ugly on Ashley Hinson because of something totally, you know, innocuous. It's like making something out of nothing. Well, here's the real twilight zone part, okay? It gets better, right? Because in Pennsylvania, I was talking to you before about the Senate candidate. His name is John Fetterman, okay? He's the Democratic nominee for the U.S. Senate race in Pennsylvania, he actually held an innocent black jogger at gunpoint because he heard, you know, and it turned out it was just fireworks he heard, but he's the mayor of Braddock and he's the blue collar hero. And so he runs and he tracks down this black jogger and holds a gun to him, (laughs) right? And the black jogger's like, what the heck is, what in the world? The media gives this guy, John Fetterman, a total pass because he's a Democrat. But they'll freak out about, and Ashley Henson, you said- Before it's too late, don't you know that echoes a 40-year-old Chicago mayoral race that was totally racially tinged? Oh, my gosh. Like, so, again, maybe it just happens to to be the fact that the media, again, it's like playing a football game where the referees are wearing the same jerseys as your (laughs) opponents. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. The media is so Very interesting. Yeah, Yeah, that's like, you you could just make up whatever you want. Like, you could just say, well, yeah, four years ago this happened. According to a source, I'm the source. And so are you aware of that? Like, it just, you know what this all feels like to me, though? You're like, it, the reporter was literally the only human that thought of that. It, it, it just feels like desperation, 
right? That's a yeah. des- that's a desperate oh, thing to do to get attention and like. No, I mean, I honestly, there are there are problems still in the United States with prejudice today. There's right. no question about that. But the demand for defeating racism is greater than the supply right. of racism, mm-hmm. and so we have to. The left has to go look for it. You know, like, oh wait, this sounds like it might be prejudice, and they just lose their mind and they go crazy. Yeah. It, but it's interesting to point it's out, not, like, it's not helping there's race like relations. a lot of reaching going on. It reminds me of like the FBI story. Like that's such a reach. Like anyone who's like sitting mm-hmm. down with a level head's like that's a reach. Saying that before too late, yeah, well, that's a reach. It is a reach. Like, yeah, that's a good reaching. point, Tom. Yeah, eh, it's kind of a reach there. But with the FBI, it's you know we're actually they're actually sending guy, guards with mm-hmm. guns to houses. Right. right? So it's the not reach just means, like anymore. far more. Yeah. Right. But I mean like. But you're right. The analogy, right. I, I agree with you. A lot of reaching going on around society. And I feel like uh, that's interesting. Like as elections get closer, like there's a lot of things that are coming across to me as reaches. And it actually shows desperation, in my opinion. Like mm-hmm. we could be seeing a lot of red candidates coming in is all I got to say. This feels like a lot of desperation plays. Anyway. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, I, I'm more to say on that. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, Erica, I believe that leads us to yours. All right. Here's my twilight zone. Kind of predictable, but yeah. The Biden administration announced it will require trans women, which is uh, men who are now identifying as women, but who were born biological males to register for the draft. So if you were born male, (laughs) you have to register for the draft. So the story is... uh, U.S. citizens or immigrants, and this is the rule itself I'm quoting, who are born male and change their gender to female are still required to register. You know why, Tom? Because biology (laughs) matters. After all, when it comes to national defense, they still want those biological males. You're not really a woman. That's rich. Oh, my goodness. I just read that and my jaw was like, this has to be the onion or the Babylon bee. Right, 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 right. But no, it wasn't. It's not the bee. Individuals who are born female, however, and change their gender to male are not required to to register. So I think we have a little bias going on here against transgender women. And it's preferencing transgender men just because of their chromosomes. I mean, what? The this whole gender, the whole gender straight thing was like, yeah, this is all funny games until it comes time to die for the country. And then when it's when it comes time to die, we're gonna send you wherever we want. Yeah. Then biology, like, okay, the charade's over. Like, yeah. Yeah, you're going over, Chief. Well, and this is this is sort of following up. So if you'll remember way back, uh, right after he took office, it made big news and the national media, you know, Biden revokes Trump's ban on transgender people serving. In the military and everyone's like, what a great guy. Transgender people can be in the military. And now we're like, and when it comes to compulsory service, (laughs) this is why it's because we still want your transgender women who are biological males serving in our army. Um, They're so full of it. Because biology matters after all. Well, it's actually, I mean, the Democrats, the Democrats actually try to expand the draft to women as well. But Republicans, a small minority of Republicans stood strong and said no. We're not going to allow you to do that. And so the Biden administration didn't get what they wanted. So now they're left with the choice. Like, well, we we believe in gender bending, <laughs> you know, stuff and every other regu- rule and regulation. Every other but, facet of society. You know, if we just allow people. Wait. If we, if we exempt women, if we exempt men who claim they're not women from the mm-hmm. draft, then every man could just claim he's a woman oh. and we'd have no one in the draft. <laughs> who could have predicted and that? so the Biden administration is kind of in a oh bind. My right? Oh, my gosh. That's like so. That's why they have to say uh, this, 
right? Otherwise, the the draft is That's useless. Like uh, like back in the day, like people would be dodging drafts by like breaking their arms or like yeah, yeah. doing crazy stuff. To, like, now you can say just say you're a woman, like, <laughs> or like oh my god, kept it clear. <laughs> Mash, you just dress up for the dress. Yeah. So oh when it comes God. to selective service now, you have to show your birth certificate. So here's my real Twilight Zone moment. But hospitals now aren't necessarily, not all hospitals are requiring parents to indicate the sex of the child on the birth certificate. So in 18 years, these children who don't have their sex on their birth certificate because mom and dad had eaten the Fruit Loops, what are we going to do with them? Were they male or female? That's another well, another so hurdle for the U.S. government to defend the country to overcome, I guess. Yeah, hopefully. Oh, I, I can't believe someone actually said pre- presented something to make women sign up for the draft. Oh, Tom, yeah. Oh, the Equality, Democrats were in favor of that. In fact, yeah, part uh, a good chunk of even liberal Republicans were like, "Oh, yeah. who cares? Women sure, we like women draft. fighting." That's, that's like, crazy. That's not what we're asking here, we're not. We're not. We're not allowing. I mean, we currently allow women to join the military if they want to. That's not the draft is no, not right. voluntary, folks. It's compulsory. So, so the question is, why are we drafting our daughters? So, my Twilight Zone is basically just basically my work on the social media team. So, this comes from video clip. It was an interview with PBS Corey Bush. So, Corey Bush, for those that don't know her, she's a representative. She's uh, pro BLM. She very radical abortion stance. Mm. And so she went on to promote a book that she was doing and really interesting moment in this interview. She described a moment when she actually went in to Planned Parenthood to get an abortion. And so it was her second abortion. Um, and we'll, we'll have this clip in here. It'll have all the details. But second abortion, she sits down and she didn't tell the father about it. And she wanted to go in and get this abortion. And so when she was in the uh, place she's like oh, i've done it before you know this will be okay and then she had a moment where she said no i i absolutely don't want this to happen stop mm-hmm. i don't want it to she's on the table already and she said she was looking around i mean it was really a heartbreaking story of hearing someone who had deep hurt um and she said she was looking around for someone to help there was no one there and the abortionist put the instruments inside and um started the procedure and so really just um I'd say like really brave of her to share that story. It was very Mm -hmm. vulnerable, sad. I mean, regardless of your views, really took a lot of courage, I think, to get up and tell that story. But the interesting part about it was when asked, why do you think they didn't stop? Why do you think they didn't respect your wishes? Um, She said, well, you know, I think it's just like any other time, you know, I'm a young black woman and they had this attitude of like, we know better. We know what's best. Uh, You don't know what you want. Um, and then eventually she got around to saying that it was because of, of racism. I feel like there's so much to unpack in this story. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, so abortionists are racist, huh? Right. So it's like, but but she's still so the craziest thing about Alyssa, and I'm going to get into more of the unpacking. Margaret Sanger founded the whole organization racist, huh? Bingo. Figure. But mm-hmm. what was interesting was someone on her team picked up our clip on Facebook and commented. So someone from Corey Bush's official account commented on our Facebook video. Saying, quote, this is the reality of medical discrimination in healthcare. Discrimination happens all throughout the healthcare industry, not just in abortion services. Read my book, The Forerunner, to learn more. And then final sentence, abortion is healthcare. I almost was like, I didn't even know how to respond because yeah. like, she clearly was hurt by this. She clearly was disrespected and they forced an abortion on her. She wanted to stop. They didn't do it. 
And then she was surprised that she was treated this way by an organization founded by Margaret Sanger, <laughs> noted eugenicist and racist. She was she was in bed with the KKK. She wanted to rid society of undesirable populations, specifically mm-hmm. the black population. So this goes so deep. And so like the twilight zone of all this is like, look at the history. Kanye West goes on Tucker. He says 50% of black death is from abortion, which right. is true. It's still true today. So for her to look at this and be like, oh, well, no, it's, it's, it's racism because they didn't listen to me because I'm black. But to still be, oh, no, abortion's healthcare. Everyone should get it is like, it almost is so sad. It's the like cognitive dissonance. How could I not even? I mean, yeah. So you're right. You're right that, you know, if, if you're claiming, Cori Bush, that this abortionist was racist, then the, the question for you would be, why are you voting to subsidize this industry that, you, that your firsthand experience shows them to be racist? The next question would be, why are you subsidizing an industry that claims it's for women's choice when you chose, no, you don't want the abortion and they did it right. anyway? Your choice was not respected. So, so much for women's choice. Right. It was, it was funny too. Cause like when we posted on our socials, like I just saw it as such like a gripping story. And I thought that there was so much more to unpack. So I'm happy I have this platform to like talk about it a little bit more, but there were some people like, oh, you support Cori Bush. Like she's BLM. <laughs> she's uh, a pro-abortion, like all this stuff. And like, no, like obviously that was not the point. Like social media, of course, right. a lot of knee-jerk reactions to stuff. Like I just hope that people would see that video and and just hear her talk. Like just to hear her talk and feel the deep hurt. And oh, I, thought, I actually, I mean, I, I, I don't know how so you could watch that video her. and not feel sorry for right. her. Like yeah. anyone with a heart, like looks at that and be like, that is such a trauma that I would not wish on anyone. This is exactly what the abortion industry does right. to women. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and this is the reality. I think that it was powerful. Yeah. And I know I understand like some people are like, oh, you shouldn't promote her at all. Like, why don't you have someone who survived an abortion, um, a woman who is post-abortive, who is now pro-life? And then wouldn't that be better? And I don't like, oh, we, we do that too. too. Like, yeah. But to hear you. again, and I think what Tom's getting at, um, to hear this woman who is still a, an extreme abortion. I mean, she's like abortion for any reason up till the day of birth. This is extreme. To hear her story and her experience that was a negative one of the abortion, it does expose and it forces all of us to to get. I mean, I I was really it was very upsetting to watch this and to just think as a woman who's who's been pregnant, I've I've lost children, I've given birth to children that to, to hear this experience that her wishes were so violated um, and that it still wasn't enough. To convince her that the real tragedy here was that a child died who could have been here now and in her life. Y- your that, child died. Yeah. Yeah. Not just a child. Your Not just child a child. Your child died on that table because someone wouldn't listen to you. I think it's it's absolutely important for pro-life, pro-lifers and Catholics to have that sympathy, to pray for her and to be that much more convicted that this is a battle for hearts and minds of women. Um it's yeah just it's important to hear voices from all sides who have had this traumatic experience um yeah yeah and to express our sympathy and our certainly and it'd be great 20 years if she became a pro exactly like Bertalo Longo I mean if she could become as excited about life and God and Jesus Christ as Bertalo Longo who was a satanic priest for heaven's sake becoming the rosary man that's the that's the best possible outcome here so um, yes. Pray for her soul. Pray for her. 
But it's important though, pro-lifers, we've always had a difficulty, you know, in the, in the pro-life debate, we've always had a difficulty just having the debate to mm -hmm. begin with and to talk to people about what's going on with abortion. And we say, you know, it really is a life. And by the way, abortion is not the solution. It's horrible for women. And people just drone you out, oh, uh, women's rights. And you, do, you, you can't even have a constructive mm -hmm. conversation about it a lot of times. And so here is a person's story. It's, it's a just story. a story, like, right. What, what can you refute? Unless she's lying, this is what happened. She's telling you what happened. And yes, actually, that kind of brings up a lot of good mm -hmm. points. What, Which, you know, is this how this industry she treats women? She nothing to lie about that story. Like, why would she tell a story that would go against <laughs> right. the narrative? Right. Right. Her constituents and all the people. It goes against her agenda. <laughs> right. That's, that's what was missing from the video. Like, so sit yeah. down and think. Mm -hmm. Like, she has nothing to gain from telling this vulnerable story about right. a complete violation right. of herself. Like, mm -hmm. and so. So let's talk about these li uh, lived experiences yeah. uh, with the abortion industry. No matter who tells it, we should listen to it, right? Because they could, because pro-life, uh, pro-abortion advocates could try to discount what, you know, people like Abby Johnson, who had a conversion, they could, oh, they could try to discount it. But like, yeah. well, you can't discount what Cori Bush said. Right. I mean, yeah, like she, she votes with you. Like she's, she's got no reason to lie, as you say. Yeah, so, yeah. absolutely. And uh, that wraps up the Dominican episode today. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Father, or Roberto Brought to Longo, you by the OPs. <laughs> Yeah, shout out to any Dominicans listening. Hopefully hey. you got pray, pray for us. Hey, that's what we're all about, praying yeah, work. Praying work. We're at Labora. So that, I think, I think that, that's uh, the Benedictines, Josh. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> oh, whoops. Busted. That's true. See? Well, good. But the Dominicans. I, can't, I couldn't let Tom hey. get away with making all Well, all hey, as long as it's not so. the Jesuits, right? Well, yeah, I mean, we'll take <laughs> Dominicans, Benedictines. We'll take Carmelites, just not the Jesuits. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right i think we need to wrap it up before we, I think we should ourselves. stop there yeah <laughs> all right that does it for this week's episode of luke cats man this was a ton of fun um follow us on any account you get your podcast from so we're talking spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher we're everywhere um make sure you get it. it's going to be every thursday uh please uh leave some questions for us leave a review they really we really appreciate it here in the show and uh, we'll be seeing you guys next Thursday. Take care, everyone. Thanks for joining us on Loopcast. Please subscribe and leave a review.